Welcome to Season 2 of I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Caraview. For Season 2, my guest hosts chose the record, and I'll be honest, sometimes I do not fucking love it. However, I did fucking love talking to each and every one of them about their choice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here we go again, this time taking on Little Earthquakes, the debut solo album from Tori Amos. It was released in January 1992 in the UK and a month later in the US on Atlantic Records. It was produced by Amos, Eric Rossi, David Sigerson, and Ian Stanley. It spawned five singles and reached number 14 on the UK charts. Guest hosting today is an American immigrant living in Ireland. From the shadows, she calls, and in the shadows, she finds a way to return to my show. Welcome back to the program, Veronica Victor. Veronica, how is everything going with you? Hi, um, it's good. It's, you know, I think we're all going through a similar thing, just kind of um, the novelty of it all <laughs> is wearing a bit thin. Mm. And um, I would just, uh, I would literally kill for a latte, you know? It's <laughs> like, it's not the same having home brews, and I would just... I would love to have a lunch out and just have a latte and sit and read a book in a cafe somewhere. But sure, it's what it is. And um, as I desperately want to go and have a beer, I want to stand at the bar. I want to have people anywhere close to me. I don't care. And just, I want to drink a beer. That's all I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really miss um, going out and um, licking handrails and. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. that's one hobby that's gone by the wayside. That's the little shame. things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you start to feel like the problem. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I guess the biggest change it has for me, really, aside from just that stubborn part of me that doesn't like being told I can't do something, um, it's really just my schooling has moved online, and that has just been like cue the shit show. So, you know a bunch of adult students trying to figure out how to use Zoom, or not even Zoom, actually, it's Microsoft Teams, which is even worse. And uh, that's just you know, a bit frustrating, but we'll get through it. All right. Well, good luck with that. I, I started a new job on April 1st, which seems a little on the nose for 2020. but mm -hmm. uh, And so, yeah, I've had to do everything online uh, through Teams as well. So it's been an adventure. But on to more exciting things. Tell me, how did this album enter your life? Uh, I remember it literally like it was yesterday. <laughs> I was in the um, sixth grade, and I just moved to a new neighborhood. Our family had built a home out in the suburbs of Lando Lakes, Florida, Pasco County. And I started a new school. And I had literally no friends. I was a really weird kid. And um, not weird like hyper, just weird like quiet. You know, I just didn't, I just didn't really have a lot of friends. Um, so it was new. And so I had come from a different school um, district from my fifth grade. So everybody came into middle school knowing each other. But I was totally a weirdo from the other side of town. And anyways, um, these two older girls friended me because we walked the same way going home and their name was Jennifer and Jessica <laughs> and <laughs> I was so in awe of them I thought they were so 
beautiful and majestic and they were both kind of big but I don't mean big like um heavy they were just tall and had really broad shoulders and they were these like badass seventh graders who actually um were they seven? I think they were eighth graders and I was in seventh grade um in any case there was like a year difference because they went on to high school before I did and so we would walk home together and we just got talking and they were like really nice and they they kind of like got me like they were the ones who like were like come on we're gonna watch Rocky Horror Picture Show <laughs> you know <laughs> and I remember them being like handing me this CD and being like, you need to listen to this. <laughs> and that was it. Like my life has changed. I, I like, I couldn't get enough of it. And um, it was all because of Jessica and Jennifer. And then later, you know, when I did eventually go into high school, they were already there. And they were of course in the theater club which I also joined because that's where people like us congregate. And we were just like Insta buddies again. Like they weren't, there was no weirdness and I just loved them to death. They were, they were amazing. And I'm going to assume that you have kept up with uh, Amos's career. So it wasn't just a one album for you. Oh uh, no, not at all. No. Um, I am a, a huge Tori Amos fan. <laughs> um, I've seen her in concert a number of times. Um, there was a, portion of her career where I kind of took a back seat um but I have to say she's back to a certain extent I'd say her her most recent album was very good um and as I listened to some of the ones in the in-between stage like um like Scarlet's Walk and things like this like um I, I appreciate them more I think there's something about her her music past so I think starting from Scarlet's Walk and going on, that music for me became like, it didn't inst I didn't instantly love it. But um, the more I listen to it, the more I do love it. But for me, her first four albums, so Lua Craig's Under the Pink, Boys for Pele, and From the Choir Girl Hotel, they are like unstoppably good. I've never heard any music that has touched me like that. And actually, it's really influenced my life. Like, she has played a huge role in my life. <laughs> Just kind of following her journey as it, like, mirrors my own. And I don't know. It, she's one of those. I just can't really put into words how much she means to me. It's just one of those things. Like, from the moment they handed me that uh, Little Earthquakes album, I was done. It was just like... That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember this one coming out in 92 uh, with the first big single with Silent All These Years. Now, I know they released uh, Me and a Gun first, uh, but I don't remember hearing that. So like most of the most of the country, sorry, why can't Tori Reid fans? Uh, this is where I first heard her was with Silent All These Years. And... It didn't make a big impression, big impression on me. I, I thought it was okay. Um, but I think in 92, I was still, I was listening to, you know, Faith No More and, and Soundgarden and uh, stuff like that. And so I didn't really get into more mellow stuff until a little bit later. And I've been racking my brain trying to remember how I got back into it and actually listen to this whole album. Because uh, I don't remember any of the follow-up singles 
specifically. Like they, they sound familiar, but it's like with, um, with Joan Osborne's album, I hated that song, One of Us. And so I didn't think much of it. And then when I heard the song St. Teresa, I thought, this is pretty cool. And I got the record hoping it was more the latter than the former. And I was trying to think if that is what happened with this record, that I heard a follow-up single or somebody played it for me, and then I just I, I grabbed onto it. And if I had any guess, it would be, um, it would be China. Um, but I, I can't quite remember. But I had a, a roommate right after I left university and uh, right after I graduated, I should say. And then, um, and I think he liked her. And at the time I remember making a mixed disc for my sister with all female voices. And I just can imagine he may have had the CD. I may have listened through it to see if there's something I wanted to put on that mix. And then that's how I really discovered that there's some really good stuff on this. Uh, but that would have been more closer to I don't know, 96 or 97. So I don't have any specific memories of it beyond that, uh, other than just now when I listen to it, there's a ton of great stuff on here. And uh, we'll, get into, we'll get into that with the track-by-track track analysis. So because this is your choice for my listeners, um, the first time we spoke, we talked about uh, Marilyn Manson's Mechanical Animals, which was my choice. And this one is uh, Veronica's choice. So track side one, track one, Crucify. What do you think about this? Yeah. Um, I didn't think this would be so difficult. I thought that uh, I could talk about Tori Amos endlessly, but I realized it's actually quite difficult to put it into words. Uh, I don't get a lot of people who sit me down and say, um, would you like to talk about Tori Amos? <laughs> that is like a dream scenario. Of course I do. Um, yeah, Crucify is an, is it's an amazing song. Like there, there's literally no song on this album that I'm not going to say is amazing. So I'll just, you can just assume that that's the case. Of course, it was the first song I ever heard. And it, it's interesting hearing you talk about her singles and things because I never knew that she had singles. Like the only radio that I listened to was if I like went to work with my dad and he would listen to like classic, like Southern rock, like, you know, grubby shit and mm -hmm. if it wasn't like Rush Limbaugh talk radio and stuff like that so when I listened to radio it was usually 93.3 which would be more like pop you know and and like hip-hop in the 90s unstoppable so of course that was like I was really big into that as well so I never heard Tori anywhere but in my bedroom until until from the Quadro Hotel came and some of those songs started um, appearing in the gay clubs because they would do like dance remixes of um, like Spark and stuff like that. And those were in the gay clubs. So I, like, I remember very vividly being um, drunk in a gay club and hearing Tori Amos come out. And like, it was, and <laughs> it was like another worldly <laughs> experience. I like, literally left my body. It wasn't even... So yeah, Crucify, the thing that stands out to me is just the, like I just related to every single notion in this um, song. I just, the way that she expresses feeling like an outsider and um, like that, that struggle. I didn't grow up in a religious family um, from the age I was 10 on. There was no religion in the home, but before that my mother would have been Pentecostal. Um, and that, that was when I lived in Ohio with her um, until the age of 10. So she would have been religious, but I wouldn't have necessarily felt it. It was 
like such an oppressive force because she was quite a, you know, like most, she's pretty hypocritical Christian. Like um, her life didn't mirror the, the church at all. But um, but I do, I, I did relate to the idea of crucifying ourselves. Um, and I, I really felt the like, my heart sick of being in chains. Um, you know, I would have, by this time, I would have been coming to terms with what I thought then was my sexuality, I now understand to be my gender. And they just the imagery in this song just swept me away. It was to me, it's just beautiful the way she talks about being an outsider. Yeah, this really sets the template for what you're gonna get on this record. Uh maybe not always musically, but definitely lyrically, thematically. Um, this coming from an outsider's perspective and I think you can read a lot into it because even even when she's a little more specific, so she's really dealing with having been raised in this conservative Christian household. Uh, she wasn't really happy with herself as a as a girl. Uh, she didn't like the way she looked. Um, she had some issues with that, and that comes up repeatedly throughout this record. But in a way that I think can be applied to a lot of different aspects. You know, so I'm a I'm a you know, a white heterosexual dude. And there's songs on this album that can make me cry. <laughs> uh, and this, I, this, my thing with this one is it was a little more produced than I remember. Cause I hadn't listened to this one in a long time. And then when we first started talking about what we were going to do for the follow-up and I, I listened to this and then I just was hooked on it. I listened to this for a couple of weeks, just nonstop. And then had other things to do. And then obviously to prepare for what we're doing now, I started listening to it again. And I just, it's just been on a loop. And this one is just, I don't know. And I don't know because I've been listening to it on Spotify. And so I don't know if it's because it's the remastered version, if there's just something there that I don't remember, or it's not like it's, I don't know, Meredith Brooks or something. It's not crazy overproduced or whatever. It's just a little bit more than I remember, but uh, it's obviously just about all the little tortures we subject ourselves to. And the music is, is beautiful. And with the one line that you mentioned when she saw the way she sings chains, the way she carries that out is just such a great hook. Like that will just get into my brain and not let go. Uh, it's a, it's a really, really good tune. It's a great way to, to kick off the album. Uh, and then we go on to track two girl. And this is such a cool song. I like this song a lot. Uh, this is a little more sparse, but it still has, you know, a full slate of instrumentation and it's a, it's a darker sound than the first one. And I love the strings. Uh, I think it comes across as being a little bit more stark because there's just not a whole lot of percussion to it. Uh, and there's a few moments in here where there's, it's what sounds like male backup voices and they only sing like a word with her and it happens maybe three or four times but it's just a really cool and kind of unsettling effect. And, you know, lyrically it's fantastic. And just, I think this is, this is a song that, that hooked me almost from the beginning. Like I liked crucify, but when girl came out, I was like, okay, there's some, there's some good stuff here. What do you think about this one? I wonder if the male voice is Trent Reznor or, um, because she did, she would have him occasionally, um, on some of her things. I wonder if that's who it is. I'd never have come across who it might be. Um, the thing you were saying before about the way she sings Chains, I've 
um, I've heard her interviewed um, and she says to her, words aren't words, they're, they're, um, they're music. Like, so the way she takes the words and turns it into a melody in and of itself, that that's almost more important to her sometimes than the meanings. Um, so the way she does chains, like as, as a musical arrangement rather than the word chains. And I think you see that throughout her body of work. And in some ways, it gets even more so further down the line. And maybe that's why it takes a minute to get used to it. Because the way she uses her voice as an actual instrument. Girl is so beautifully gothic and so beautifully moody and dark. And it has, like, to me, it's kind of um, sexy. Like, there's so much sex in these first few albums for me. Um, it probably was because I was obviously of that age. I did, there's something so tragic, like even the way she says, um, I've cuts on my knees falling down as the winner takes one more cherry tree. Like we know what that means. Like there's, <laughs> there's sexual undertones to that in that like the way she can convey these dark kind of emotions in a way that doesn't feel like afterwards you don't feel crushed. You just feel like seen. That's, how, that's what this song kind of does for me. It kind of like says... Um, it's okay to be your own girl. And that's definitely thematically throughout this record. So you said there's a, there's a ton of sex and this is, this comes across as being a very young record. There's, um, obviously these were songs she wrote as a young woman and they were often about her even, you know, back into her childhood. So there are certain concerns that I remember hitting me a little bit harder back in, let's say 95 or whatever. And then listening now it doesn't, I don't want to say juvenile because it's definitely not because she, there is a maturity to what's going on, but occasionally, and we'll touch on that when we get to it. I think there's things that mattered a lot more when you were 18 than when you're almost 48. Yeah, sure. And like what I mentioning that, what I love about her work is that it holds all those places. It's like a place for that stuff to exist. Like I can listen to this album or any of her early albums and I'm taken back in every sense to exactly where I was in that moment. And that like part of me still lives there. And that feels really like a time capsule, kind of a like funny thing about the kind of kid I was. <laughs> um, in our senior yearbooks, we had senior quotes. I don't know if everybody did this, but um, my quote came from the song and it was sit in the chair and be good now become all that they told you. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was like super like anti-establishmentarian as all of us. <laughs> um, so that really resonated. Literally everything um, about me ties back to Dory in some way. <laughs> so track three, Silent All These Years. This was her big breakout hit, I think. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, again, it's so weird to think of these, any of these as being singles. <laughs> I just never... Um, I never had that exposure to them. I just, um, I see them as part of the album. So I, I'm in a way, I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm really happy that I have that because I don't have the world's influence. This is kind of, for many years, I could pretend like Tori was my little secret. Like I didn't have to share her with anybody. She was just mine. Yeah. So Silent All These Years is a song that I have to be really careful if I'm, if I play it out loud, if my husband's in the room. Because if he doesn't know it's coming, it can really hit him emotionally quite strong. Um, it's just one of those 
things that echoes back to past traumas for him that um, I don't think there's anything else that can articulate it so well. It just takes him takes him to that place. So I have to kind of be like, I'm going to play Tori. Is that okay with you? <laughs> he knows it might be coming. <laughs> um, and <laughs> conversely, if I walk in the room and he's listening to Cyan all these years, I know he's, <laughs> we need to have a hug. <laughs> <laughs> in some ways, I mean, it's a really fun song. Some of her imagery is really great. I used to find such romance in this, but what if I'm a mermaid in these jeans of his with her name still on it? I just, oh, I don't know. There was just something so romantic and like second girlfriend about that. Like the details of course aren't there, but you can fill them in with anything. Just the idea of being like wrapped up in these oversized boyfriend jeans that like have scribbled some other bitch's name and you're just like, yeah, well, I don't know. Like, what do you do with that? Such complex contradictions of feelings. I don't know if that relates to you at all, but <laughs> it all makes sense in my head. I mean, you could just go line for line. To me, every every line is hugely impactful. Like, you found a girl who thinks really deep thoughts. You, be- you, you best pray that I bleed real soon. How's that about for you? I really don't know how to describe it because I think I think what I'm struggling with is like, if you don't get it, you just don't get it. Like, I've met so many people who just don't get Tori. And then I've met so many people who, like, do. And there's really nothing I can say to make the people who don't get it get it. You just either get it or you don't. Is, does that make sense? I hope that doesn't sound snobbish. It's just No, 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 not at all. Like I said, so my, my roommate at the time, um, who I'm almost positive this was his record, uh, was gay. And he loved this record. And I think he loved this record for uh, a lot of the same reasons. And I had, a, I was dating a girl at the time and she hated this record. She hates her voice and just the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like it. Now this one is, I, this had a kind of a cool video, if I remember correctly, that was like yeah. the, like the album cover. And so it was, it was animated and I just remember, and it was some kind of a buzz bin type thing. That you would see on MTV. I did. I do remember seeing it on MTV actually, but it, it wasn't animated. But she does kind of silly little, a little dance where they kind of dance across the screen, and she's like in a bathtub of water and things like that. Yeah. So I have just kind of vague memories of it, and and it didn't it didn't say much to me in '92. And but the piano just always makes me think, uh, like especially that opening piano, it makes me think of bees. You know, not in a bad way. I don't feel like I'm I'm in danger when I hear this. And it's this one is is really stark. So like you know, track one I think has a ton going on, and two is a little bit deceptive about how how stark it may be. This is pretty much at least at the beginning just her and the piano, and she just has a just really beautiful vocals. And my thing, I think the one thing that always bothered me about this song, and it goes back to that line that you mentioned. You know, so you found a girl who thinks really deep thoughts. And then when she says, what's so amazing about really deep thoughts doesn't fit the meter. And it always, you know, cause she's known for her words. And for some reason I always thought like you could rewrite that line. So it's one word shorter and it would sound so much better. And I don't know why that's just one of those weird things that has always stuck with me. And I just, but I wonder if, if that's on purpose and that she's doing that. And so then you're kind of thinking about it and then it's the whole boy, you best I bleed real soon. How's that thought for you? And such a fantastic line reading. So I like it, but just something about the line, just that it just, it's one word too long for me. And it drives me a little bit crazy. And I don't know, it's such a dumb thing to to focus on because it's a, it's a really beautiful song. 
And then it does, it builds throughout because then there's some strings that come through and then the synth that comes in. And so while it starts on this very kind of slow, um, stark place, it does go somewhere. And this has a real movement to it. And this is another one where she's talking about not having, uh, you know, like they, I love that the second girlfriend syndrome. And again, I said, this is very young, very young person concerns at times. It's a song that has grown on me. It was one that I didn't care much for a long, long time ago, but now I think is, uh, is a good tune. Moving on to track four, Precious Things. Man, I love this song. This is, uh, I love how that begins with like that feeling of echo and the piano and the breathing. And the one thing that really kind of hit me about this song in this last week is that it's it's like a horror movie. And it has these horror movie tropes. Even the piano sounds like something that could have been on Halloween. Because she does have some trauma from her past, I always took this song to be much darker than it really is. But it's still a pretty dark song because there's talk of running and falling and being caught. I always thought that this was, you know, this is an album that has me and a gun on it, which is a song about her rape. And I thought this was more along the lines of that. And then really looking at the lyrics, this is more about not fitting in and the pain that that causes even years down the line. So I think a lot of people who were bullied in middle school or in high school carry that trauma with them for years going forward. And I think that's what this is about. And it's so it it incorporates some of these horror movie tropes and you almost want to dismiss it like, okay, it's not as violent as I thought it was going to be, but it's still like mentally threatening and foreboding. And, uh, and I think the whole, you know, the story is that she, she wrote this when she was what just, I think coincidentally living behind a church and she was, had spent her whole life running away. And then here it was right out her, her back door, this, this memory of feeling undesirable and how painful that really is and, and being not being in the in crowd. And man, I just, I love this song. This is a great tune. What do you think? Uh, she was heavily involved with rain, the rape abuse and incest network, which I don't know if they're still around, but they used to be quite big in the nineties. Mm -hmm. um, so she did a lot of work with them. So that was kind of, um, that was the project for that. Yeah. This precious things to me. Absolutely. I mean, I think like, it, it's funny, actually, because when you were saying, like, oh, last time Veronica was here, we did um, Marilyn Manson, and I was thinking, oh, God, now we're doing Tori Amos. That is, like, there's two ends of the spectrum. But I think what I love about Tori is that she has that essential element. It's just packaged in such an unconventional way. She just, like, you're right. It is like a horror movie. It's terrifying. It has, a, like, a claustrophobic feeling to it uh, the, all of the elements that like running and twisting your ankle and all these things and this thing of like you're really an ugly girl but I like the way you play and like we all know what he means by play because then she goes on to say um so you made me come that doesn't make you Jesus and that like takes back the power but she's still running and this is her kind of saying like I'm not gonna run anymore like these these precious things that we're not supposed to like fuck with we're not supposed to look at we're not supposed to like pick at like let them bleed and i just like i don't know to me that's more gothic and hardcore than anything out there that's dressing in black leather uh, to me i just think she hits to the core of what all those other bands are like trying to do without all the like effort <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I, I really love it. I'm, I'm always going to say that there's, there's so much to love about it. Yeah. A lot of, just a lot of great stuff going on in the song and, and just the way it's built and just, yeah, anyway, fantastic. Uh, track five winter. What do you think here? So winter, I have a really personal connection to winter. There's a line that says skating around the truth of who I am, but I know that the ice is getting thin. This song I was listening to one day and that line, like every time I listen to her stuff, I actually don't read the lyrics of Tori songs, particularly because she's kind of hard to understand. And some of her wording is a bit bizarre. And I like the made up, like there's parts of her songs where I have no idea what she says, but I, I leave that because I think I mean, this is a little woo-woo and it's kind of unlike me, but I think in the future, those words might reveal themselves, but I don't want to force them out. Like they have to just, you know, come at their own pace. But this line, there were always different lines that would stand out at different times. And this, this, these two lines stood out to me on that day and I just burst into tears and I was just like, yeah, I get it. And I made up my mind right then that the next day I would tell my stepmother that I was gay at the time, how I was making sense of my gender identity, relating it to sexuality as most people in the 90s did. And like I had Tori to thank for that. Like I was like, I have to do this. Like this is so real for me. And unfortunately, literally that night, my father forced me out (laughs) in kind of a drunken confrontation. So I never got a chance to actually do it on my own terms, but Tori set the stage for that and like pointed, like gently pushed me to the reality of realizing that this, this ice is getting thin. And it must've been because obviously, you know, hours later, my father was like picking up on it. Like he knew, you know, I was not doing a particularly good job of hiding it at that point. And by hiding it, I mean, actually hiding my gender because that's, you know, I wasn't having sex with men in front of them they you know they pick up on the gender more than anything so yeah that my ice was getting thin and she was there for it it also is really important to me because I I used to go to my stepmother's mother's house with her on this on Saturdays when you're an early teen and you have no friends as we do and we used to like to watch figure skating (laughs) and somebody figure skated to this song and I literally lost it. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, everybody shut up. Like, I turned the TV way up and I sat in tears <laughs> and watched this woman figure skate. And I don't know what my stepmother and my grandmother thought. <laughs> like, I don't know how they made sense of that. But I was just like, holy crap. I can't believe um, that this is happening on such a large stage. That's me in winter. I don't, like I said before in the last podcast, I don't have a lot of musical critiques to give uh, but i bring the emotion like no one else so. <laughs> <laughs> oh another thing about the lines my husband always uses this line where he says when you're gonna love you as much as i do that's a special line to us that makes a lot of sense to anybody who's you know struggled i think their loved ones can feel that for them a lot yeah that's that's the line that has the power to make me cry so yeah. this this song, because this is probably my favorite song on the album, and this is definitely the one that I've listened to the most, and this is one that does affect me in a, an emotional place. And so when I was when I was younger, and there was that, I wondered if you know, does anybody care about me, kind of thing, and and something about that related. And, and now that I have kids of my own, it hits me in a different way. Whereas now I wonder 
if my kids struggle, will I see it? And if I see it, will I be able to do anything about it? And am I, will I be able to say the right thing? Will I be able to be there? Those are things that worry me that I may, I may not see it. I may just be oblivious because who knows, you know? So it's a, yeah, this is a, a really, a really powerful song. And I think one, like you said, that a lot of people, anybody who's felt any kind of um, estrangement or any kind of discomfort in who maybe they are. And, you know, just the thought of her dad saying, you know, when are you going to love me as, when are you going to love you as much as I do is that's a, just a devastating, that's such a great line. All right. So track six, happy phantom. And this is, we kind of pick it up a little bit here. This is a, you know, a poppy piano number and uh, about having fun being a ghost. I really, I like this because it stays, it stays on theme, you know, so there's some of this, you know, former Christian guilt kind of walking around there. Like the line is something like, um, what will I pay for the life I've lived or something, which I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the words right in front of me, but, uh, and I, cause this sounds like equal parts Beatles and also like pre rock and roll. That was one of the things I think that hit me about this record is that she obviously comes from a different set of influences. Cause I mainly listen to rock music and a lot of times, most of the people who are playing in rock bands, at least by the, by the nineties and the two thousands were people who grew up listening to rock music. And so it was, that was their influence. I mean, some people may have had a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then hearing these things where maybe they're coming from, well, obviously she's coming from church tradition or from show tunes or that kind of thing. And so just hearing that, uh, a little bit of a different take, um, I, this is such a. I've never listened to this one on vinyl, but I, I would imagine this ends side one, and it's uh, a fun poppy tune about being dead. <laughs> uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, I agree. It has a lot of joy. Um, again, she's goth without trying, right? <laughs> There's something really fun about it. I think like the album needs this little kind of. It's silly, and like here's the thing, like. She is so real and visceral and she can sing about blood and hurt and pain and tears and all these like visceral bodily things. But she's also an absolute wacko. Like she's <laughs> absolutely crazy. Like I don't know uh, if you've, I mean, I do know that you have not watched as many <laughs> interviews as I have because I literally anything that vaguely, I used to have a, a wall in my room where every time her face appeared in print, I would cut it out like a serial killer and paste it to my wall. <laughs> um, and I've seen her, like she talks about the crazy, like she's just absolutely bonkers. She sometimes doesn't make sense. Like she gives Bjork a run for the money. And this is kind of that side of her. To me, musically, hearing you talk about it, it, like I was kind of thinking, how would I make sense of this music style? Because to me, it was always Tori. Like I never, and actually I have to admit, I was like, I was in my thirties before I even, no, no, that's not true. I was, um, okay, I was solidly in my twenties before I even knew who Kate Bush was. And of course there's a, a massive acknowledged influence Kate Bush to Tori Amos, almost a direct lineage. And knowing that she was also living in the UK while she produced these, which again, I didn't know until really recently. I thought she lived in the States all this time, <laughs> but she, I knew she lived in the UK eventually, but I didn't realize that she had lived there for so long. But so I guess musically for me, this is kind of like gospel or soul. Like there's something about the woo-hoos that feels a little bit, um, and with the piano, it's kind of uh, Stevie Wonder-ish, but it's, it's like, 
you take a gospel song and like eviscerate it and fill it with something completely different. Um, it's like there's a narr- like kind of a it's like a hollow echo of a gospel song somewhere in there for me. But uh, she's totally fucked it up with all the words. It's just totally in the, the timings and the way she delivers. It's just totally bizarre. And yeah, I think um, every day we're getting closer. The sun's getting dim. Will I pay for who I've been? Of course, it's like, well, if you've ever lived a life that other people have deemed sinful or wrong, then you're always going to wonder that. Like, you're always going to have that in the back of your mind. Like, hmm, I mean... We'll see. <laughs> There's not much you can do about it. So kind of imagining yourself being a, a happy phantom who has no right to bitch. It's like, yeah, I'll choose that one instead. <laughs> and like you mentioned, she's so, she can be so visceral in her songwriting. And then here where she just casts the body aside completely mm. is uh, is pretty interesting. Yeah. The lyrics make no sense. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I mean, and she's not shy about the fact that like, she's crazy and she's done a lot of drugs. (laughs) So like, I'm sure some of these are related to that in some way. That brings us to the end of side one of Little Earthquakes from Tori Amos with my special guest, Veronica Victor. Veronica, so I know the last time we spoke, you were doing a podcast and you are no longer doing the podcast. And he said, maybe laying a little bit low. Uh, So what would you like to talk about here today? First of all, I have to congratulate you for doing this podcast for so long, having been on the other side and see like the work that goes into it and the dedication it takes. There was a number of reasons why the podcast kind of took a back seat and I think it was the right choice, but uh, it, it definitely, you know, there were a lot of things that were a bit unforeseen that happened that we just decided, okay, we'll, we'll see if we go back to it in the future. Right now, I don't know. I think it's a really tough time. Like, I think if I, I mean, I'm so honored to have access to an audience like this. And I, and I personally have nothing to pitch. You know, I've gone back to school to be a therapist. So I'm just kind of laying low and um, doing my thing, making it through the day. There's a lot of personal growth involved in educating oneself to become a psychotherapist. I'm just kind of focusing on that right now. But I think one thing that keeps coming up for me that I know this is a global podcast. So no matter where you are in the world, chances are extremely good that you are next to or extremely close to a place where LGBT rights are being stripped away. Um, And I'm not trying to be alarmist because that I can't cope. Like I'm not even on Twitter because that shit just stresses me out. I would encourage people who are listening who either are part of the community or maybe they're just allies to just maybe take a look at what is going on on their doorstep. There's the UN has recently issued a statement condemning the states who are using the current COVID situation to strip back LGBT rights that have been fought for for decades. And there's some pretty scary stuff going on. And, you know, I think now is your chance to be an ally. Like, this is something you can do. This is something... You know, you can contact people who are making these decisions and just let them know you're not happy about it. There's all kinds of different things. I know Poland has some mad stuff going on and has for a while, to be fair. It's not just the COVID thing, but, you know, they have like designated LGBT free zones and, you know, things like this that you could probably speak a lot more to. But just take a second to put yourself in the position of somebody who might be living in that place and might be feeling what that's like to know that a government is so opposed to their existence and it seems like these policies 
are being created in hopes that we will just disappear and stop being that obviously isn't how it's going to work. So um, that's my plea. I mean, I'm not, I don't try to be super political. I try to like kind of um, rabble, rouse and, you know, get people all worked up over things, but um, it's, there's a lot of scary shit going on right now. And I just say, maybe take a look outside of what affects you as an individual and see how the more vulnerable populations around you are being affected by all of it. Are there any uh, organizations or resources uh, local to you, so in Ireland, that you work with or that you can recommend? Yes. Um, full disclosure, I'm a board member, so I'm a board of directors for the Trans Equality Network of Ireland. If you are in the British Isles or in, in Ireland, better if you're in Ireland, but also if you're in the British Isles, uh, we can direct you better. Uh, feel free to contact us. Um, of course, things are closed down, but we're still taking calls. Um, and I think this is what's really bringing a lot of this to the head for me. Like I'm, I'm a facilitator of a support group in Waterford, which is a Southeast town in Ireland. And it's, I mean, we know, we know about the domestic abuse issues that are going on globally, you know, uh, forcing victims to be locked in their houses with their abusers. This isn't just something that happens between husbands and wives. This is something that happens between trans kids and their parents. You know, there's people who are now stuck in rural places with their parents, whereas they would be normally residing in more urban spaces where they would have more freedom to express themselves and live their lives. They're now having to stop taking medication. They're having to stop express their gender just to survive and just to cope and get by. And I think this is what's really kind of agitating all of it to the head for me is just that like there's a lot of people right now in the world who are just really scared <laughs> because they're stuck with people who don't want them to be who they are. So Tenny is a great place to start, but there's loads of others. If you're in the UK, there's Mermaids um, that works with trans kids uh, specifically. Um, in the United States, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I know the Trevor Project does a lot of things with LGBT people. Um, I'm sure it would just take a simple Google to see what's out there. Um, but more to the point, look at who's representing you and look at what they're doing. And if you don't like it, speak up and speak up on behalf of other people who, you know, maybe don't look or live like you, but that you respect as a person and think, you know what, this is really fucked up because I got news for you. They're going <laughs> to, you know, they come for us today. <laughs> you know, that whole thing. It's like, we need allies is what I'm saying. We need allies and we need people to, to stand up and say, you know, I'm, I'm a cis straight person, but this ain't right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'll be sure to include some, some links in the show notes so uh, people can find what they need uh, when they need it. So thanks for sharing. Thanks. And now we're going to hear a word from one of our friends. What's up, people? My name is Sean, and I'm the host of You're Not Listening, a podcast where we teach you how to actively listen to music one song at a time. Every episode, I sit down with my father, who was a mobile DJ for over 35 years, and we each bring a song to the table and talk about what makes it great, why you should listen to it, and why you should appreciate it through detailed analysis of the words and music, some personal stories that we might have with that, and hopefully will help you change your mind and get you listening to music in a little bit different way so you get a little bit more out of it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you you listen if you love music and you want to figure out how you can love it even more maybe even learn how to appreciate a song that you think you hate it's you're not listening a music podcast check it out thanks everyone and now back to the show all right so we're gonna flip the record over track seven 
China. What do you think about this one? Yes. Um, so I have to admit, this is probably the song that I relate to the least. It's kind of um, during this song, I maybe daydream a little bit. Um, there's, some, I mean, I love it, but there's just there's something about it. I think it's because it's so specific. And maybe I don't, maybe I'm taking her too literally, but this, like, she's really set up, like, someone's in New York and someone's in China and they're, they want to be together, but, and then it becomes a big metaphor for emotional distance and the whole great, building a great wall around you and all these things. And I guess I kind of get that, but maybe I just can't relate. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I necessarily had a situation where someone's been like right next to me but not right next to me like you know it happens occasionally but I've never really tormented myself too much over it maybe I'm joking maybe I'm like joking myself around this but I don't know I don't really relate to it as much as the other songs but um I think it's sweet I respect what it probably meant to her at the time and this is one that appealed to me initially so this was I think what got me into the record to begin with uh, because I am, or at least at the time, much more um, a very closed off um, person emotionally. When I hear songs and can sort of see myself as the bad guy in them, that had some, you know, that, that can affect you a little bit. I can see that this bit of this wall that I built around myself, and uh, I was always a, a, a nice person and a caring person, let's say, but I didn't let people get inside. And so it's like I would go, for, you know, I'd date somebody for a year and they just couldn't penetrate anything and then they would leave. I saw some of myself in this song and now this one feels a li- it's a little maudlin. It is a little overproduced just a bit. Um, I still like the song, but it doesn't touch me the way that it did at the time. So there was another song by Tracy Chapman called Remember the Tin Man that uh, was so like at one point I, I after listening to that song, I wondered if maybe I briefly dated Tracy Chapman before she wrote that song. You could be uh, so lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but just the whole, you know, defending your defending something that you don't think exists and uh, just the China. Uh, Cause I took that to mean like a porcelain, like China plates that had been. And then, so she's comparing to what we mm. in America call China uh, to the, the great wall of China, obviously. So it's a, uh, when you live with a record for a long time, sometimes songs rise and fall in your estimation. And this is one that has fallen. Uh, I still I still like it, but it's not one that touches me the way that it used to. So track eight, Leather. This is a, one of the, another one that I feel has that youthful energy to it because it opens with her, you know, standing naked before her boyfriend. And uh, she seems bothered that he's probably only looking at the, the naked parts that we want to see, you know, and that there's that, she, that he's not seeing her, he's not seeing into her soul. And again, it has some of that second girlfriend energy to it where she's like, oh, I, you know, I can, I, I can be as loud as the last one, but I, I can't feign innocence. And, you know, you get to a point where it's like, you, do you care that anybody's a virgin anymore? You know, that's not something that I think a normal, healthy adult cares about after you're 17 or 18 when you know you're all wrapped up in hormones and stuff but and then it has some just i I really like the the piano and some of the more let's say non-vocal or you know non-word vocals where she's more like just emoting there's just i don't know a lot of a lot of cool stuff in this song and just the hand me hand me my leather um could could mean a couple of different things and and I, i i like this one what do you think about it i wanted to give a fun tracy chapman fact actually okay she dated Alice Walker, 
the famous African-American author. Mm -hmm. And then later dated Alice Walker's daughter. Wow. (laughs) Not shaming her, but it's just an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, I would like to know what in the song makes you think that she's singing to a man. Um, Probably just because I'm a man. Yeah. Mm, yeah. There's no, there's no gender in it, which I love. Um, that it's left open. I kind of always thought of her as being a little bit queer. I mean, I know that she sings to men. She's married to men. Blah blah. blah. But there's something. If I'm not mistaken, I think she might have a song that alludes to just a little touch of the queerness. There, they have an expression in German that translates to a little bit of "I never hurt anyone." <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, and it rhymes like ambition by uh, whatever. I love this song. It's it's um it's super fun. It's super sexy. It's super like dominatrixy fetishy. Like I think of the leather as like a leather, like leather, like sex, like um that kind of thing. Um, but I really love. I can scream as loud as your last one, but I can't claim innocence. That line is so perfect (laughs) it's like it's so perfect and i have to admit living in san francisco working ground zero at the bdsm scene working at mr leather making and designing latex fetish wear you see that line acted out so many times (laughs) (laughs) i don't know who you think you're kidding here (laughs) but yeah i mean this song is super fun it's like happy phantom goes to like the leather bar has some fun sex to me that's kind of how i always that's kind of how i always um thought of it like and one of the interesting things like um looking at the like lyrics is i always thought she says i almost ran over an angel he had a nice big fancy car (laughs) (laughs) of course it's a nice big fat cigar um right it doesn't matter I like how she sings that line because I don't. At first, I thought it was a little bit goofy, but the more I listen to it, the more I love that she put this on record. You know, because she she got the big fat cigar. You know, so she's singing it like she has a big cigar in her mouth, and that's you know, a cigar is just a cigar sometimes, right? Yeah, sometimes unless you're Bill Clinton. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, uh, track nine, Mother. What do you think here? This song. To me, Mother feels like a cross between Fancy. Do you know that song, Fancy? But I think it's Reba McIntyre. Not offhand. It sounds familiar, but I, yeah, I, I couldn't. Like, it's basically about a w- woman whose mother turns her out to make money, and then she ends up hitting it big and never looking back. So there's something like that to it. And there's something kind of Dolly Parton-esque at the same time. I don't know. It's not to do with the sound at all. It's more the lyrics. It's like... This idea of being, no, sorry, not Dolly Parton. Um, I'm your private dancer. <laughs> Tina Turner. <laughs> Tina Turner, thank you. Tina Turner. That, it's like Tina Turner crossed with Fancy by Reba McIntyre. Um, because it has this like sex work vibe. It feels like she's being turned out by her mom. She's like, she's afraid, like she's nervous. She wants to still know she can come home, you know, but you don't really know, you don't really know where it's all going to go. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's just, to me, it's like, I always interpreted it like a woman who's 
going into a, a scary man's world for kind of the first time. And her mother is like there, but she's also kind of pushing her out as well. And she wants to be able to return home, but you kind of know she won't. I'd never thought about it from that angle. Uh, I'd always heard this as her going out with somebody who she feels serious about maybe for the first time. And that's what's making her nervous. Like she's been on dates, she's had boyfriends, but this is the one that feels like is it, you know, he's going to change my name. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's the, they're, they're going to get married, but she still wants to know that they're, that home is still home. And, you know, so that, that line, leave the light on uh, is how I, I've um, taken it. I always heard that line. He's going to change my name. Like, because they call them whatever they want, you know, what's your name, sweetheart, whatever you want it to be, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's how I always thought. I never, I didn't see it as the marriage thing. That's really interesting. You're probably right. I'm probably just twisted and want to see that she's like being turned out at a young age. But um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I always thought it was like, oh, you know, my name's Roby or whatever, like that kind of a name change. I'll have to listen to it again with uh, with that perspective. So uh, I, th- I think mine's just a little bit sweeter, but uh, yeah. Absolutely, 100%, 100%, much more wholesome. Track 10, Tear in Your Hand. This is my least favorite song on this record. This is one that just sounds overboard produced. It doesn't have a hook for me. I remember people talking about this because I was really into the Sandman comics, and she mentions hanging out with the Dream King. Uh, But this is just a song I could never get into. This really sounds adult contemporary to me. So a lot of times I have to say that the album kind of ends at track nine for reasons we'll explain in a moment. So this is just one that I don't care for. What do you think about this one? I can understand the adult contemporary to a certain extent. I think a lot of her songs start out in that place, but she tends to take them on a journey. I also um, only recently learned about her connection to Neil Gaiman as well. Um, so when she says, yeah, like you said, me and Neil will be hanging out with the Dream King. That's lovely. Um, they're quite close. And Delirium is based on her, mm-hmm. um, which I, you, I'm sure you know. But um, I think that's that's really fascinating. Um, I'd love to be in a room with the two of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a really sweet song. Like, I think there's really power to like, you don't know the power you have with that tear in your hand. It's simple, but then there's that breakout moment where she's like cutting my hands up every time I touch you. Maybe it's time to wake goodbye now. It's, I don't know, there's something really jagged underneath the surface. I've, I've listened to it a bunch of times recently just to make sure I was prepared. And because sometimes if you, what you maybe are initially repelled at from a song can help you understand different parts of it. So there, there are moments where this song starts to go somewhere that I, I think may be interesting, but it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't take me on that particular journey. I can feel that. I always want to know what kind of ice cream Charles Manson likes. <laughs> like, where do you, can you Google that? I don't even know if that's like known. Did somebody ask him? <laughs> I, 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 of all the questions that you would think to ask Charles Manson, I don't know if that's one that would come up. Uh, well, she knows. <laughs> How did she find out? I don't know. The Dream King told her. I guess. See, she's totally wacko. <laughs> Track eleven, "Me and a Gun," and we talked a little bit about this at the top. But uh, what are you? What are your thoughts here? I skip this song ninety-nine percent of the time, and. 
I do that because I never want to get numb to its message. And I never want it to just play in the background without my full attention. And so if I don't have the emotional fortitude to put myself there and feel it, then I just skip it. Um, I think it's one of the most poignant songs about sexual assault that anyone has ever written. I know there are some really good ones out there as well, but I think this one in particular, for me, the fact that it's acapella, the fact that she's just telling her story and she's telling the way she tells the story in a matter of fact way. And then she goes off on this fantasy that says so much more about coping mechanisms than anyone could ever outright express. Like taking us as the listener on that journey from being in that awful place to being, you know, oh shit, I've never been to Barbados. I guess, you know, you find any reason to survive, find any glimmer of hope or string that you can hold on to that keeps you attached to reality that you'll, you're going to get through this because you've never been to Barbados and you have to go to Barbados before you die. So this can't be it. And that like, oh my God, it's like, it makes me emotional even now just like talking about it. It's just, it's so powerful. And I'm so careful with the people that I let that I expose this song to or that I expose to the song because like I said, it isn't background music. It's not, it's not something that can be just put out there. Um, you can't just like leave the room while it's playing. To me, it like deserves reverence because if we start getting numb to that, I don't know what's next. I just, uh, to me, I don't want to be that. So I always just skip this, this track unless I know I'm okay to like really feel it and process it and sit there with it and feel it and like put those um take that moment to like reflect on all the people who've gone through similar things and then move on to little earthquakes at the end yeah it's a it's a powerful song and i was amazed to hear that they had released this this was the initial single that they released before the album came out and that feels like more of a word of mouth type thing as opposed to really thinking thinking they're going to get radio airplay with an acapella song about sexual assault. Yeah, there's that line, um, trying to keep herself in the moment and the ability to survive. It's a, it's a, it's a gut-wrenching song. It's difficult to listen to. Uh, and I'm like you, most of the time, I just can't and I don't. So um, more often than not, like I said, this album tends to end at mother uh, for me. So this is, uh, and I said, this one was, you said, written for specifically for Rain? Yeah, I believe so. And I wonder if that's not why they released it. I wonder if it was a single as um, a promotion for Rain or some kind of a fundraiser. I know that she was heavily involved with them at the time and that there was some relationship between that song and Rain. Okay. So that brings us to our final track, the title track, Little Earthquakes, uh, the longest song on the album. This one goes to nearly seven minutes. I, I like this song. I don't listen to this song very often because it's uh, like, I don't get to it just because of the two tracks before it. What do you think about this one? I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> I love it. It's like the roller coaster that it takes you on. Like, I love the... Um, like, good year for hunters and Christmas parties. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> That's, this is why I love her so much. It's like, you know, okay, we're stepping into Tory world now. You know, and she like, she talks about her, her songs as um, girls. You know, they're like, 
they're friends and they come and they go and they tell her where they want to be played and how they want to be played and what albums they want to be on and and that she you you really believe that she has this individual relationship like she's creating a person when she creates a song and that's why i think strange little girls as an as a concept album worked so well because in that she she did literally what she'd been doing figuratively all along just to create an actual person for each song um and this one feels like like dancing in graveyards with vampires and laughing in the faces of kings it's like it's so high school goth i love it to death the way it like crashes down and gets all like frantic with give me life give me myself again it really doesn't take much to rip us into pieces <laughs> and this song rips me into pieces <laughs> so that's the end of the album what are your final thoughts here my final thoughts are if you've gotten this far and you haven't listened to all of tori amos's library start at the beginning and don't leave your house until you're done <laughs> <laughs> i just i cannot yeah, it, I mean, I kind of said it already. It's like you either get it or you don't. And I think the people who really get it, really fucking get it. Like she had at one point the largest cult following in music. And it's there's a reason for it. Like she, if you can fit into her weirdness and her sadness and gothicness all at once, then you're going to find a whole like new world like this is i don't know she has changed my life so much <laughs> just by being her and i got to meet her once actually <laughs> i got her autograph um after one of the concerts and i just um i don't know yeah if you're not a fan of tori amos yet you probably won't won't be <laughs> yeah i don't know you just get it or you don't i guess well, this is a good time, quarantine time. Sit down, and uh, if you haven't done so already, to, to visit this catalog, see what, uh, what you can get from it. Uh, this is an album that I, I go stretches where I don't listen to it at all. I will visit winter if I'm in the mood to make myself sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but when I just sit down and listen to the whole record, it um, doesn't happen. you know. But when it does, I, I'll, find, I'll listen to it a bunch of times in a row and then I won't listen to it for a while. And then when I do, it's a bunch of times in a row kind of thing. So it's, it's one that, that, that it's, it's pleasures are both immediate and, and deep. Like, you know, so there's things that you can get on the surface and enjoy and then things that you can appreciate even more on further listen. So, uh, I would recommend, like you said, starting with this one and, uh, see where you go from there. I literally, I mean, I've been listening to her for, over 25 years now and um, I still hear new things. So I would like to encourage my listeners if you have the opportunity to, I don't know, subscribe or rate or review or whatever it is that you're supposed to do to help more people find the show I would appreciate that. Also uh, to take up the call to action from Veronica and uh, be be an ally. Find out what you can do for the trans or the LGBTQ community uh, in your community. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. I know it's a little bit late. I know we're uh, both a little bit tired and it's weird times right now. So it was a a, a lot of fun visiting this record with you and getting a chance to talk about it. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Derek. Take care. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record. If you would like to co-host an episode, contact me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. This and every episode can be found on my website, lovethisrecord.com. If you would like to follow us on Facebook, it's Love This Record. 
Twitter and Instagram, Love This Record One. Music provided by the Ashes of Grissom, and thanks as always to original patron Mark Evers. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review, and we'll see you next time. 